This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Good morning, everyone. It's really exciting to be here today. And since we have people here from many nationalities, I also have to say buenos dias, bon dia, guten tag, and habari. I just learned this today in Swahili. <laughs> and I know there are more languages represented here, and I just want you to feel welcome. And for those watching online, good morning as well. I believe the Lord has a word for you today. My friends, I'm excited this morning. Uh, it is so amazing to be part of a church that is diverse as ours. This uh, is our home church. I share the gospel in gospel campaigns, gospel festivals around the world, but this is our home base. I am part of this church with my family or my wife, my kids weren't born yet, since 2004. And if you come here, you might find my son Daniel one day greeting at the door, my daughter Sarah serving at the nursery, my wife Stephanie uh, helping here with the keyboard. We just love Christian Chapel. And today, I am going to be sharing about God's invitation for a personal, intimate, and loving relationship with Him. Jesus talked about that on different occasions, but today we will be focusing on a letter that Jesus sent to an ancient church. And this letter has very clear directions for our lives. Now, I don't know about you, but I just love it when the Lord gives us clear directions. I love it when we have clear instructions. Amen. Are you with me on this? Amen. It's just amazing when we have decisions to make and we are not sure about what to do and we just hear from the Lord what is the next step. And I believe that's what the Lord has for us today, a clear word for our lives. So let's take a look at our text and see what the Lord wants to communicate with each one today. Please open your Bibles in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, or if you prefer, you can also follow here on the screen. The Bible says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This letter is from the book of Revelation, which was written by the apostle John while he was imprisoned in the island of Patmos. And he was put there by the Roman authorities because he was preaching the gospel. And it's precious to think that it was in a context of persecution and, and imprisonment and suffering that John had such an extraordinary and fresh revelation of Jesus that still blesses us today. And there is a lesson here. Sometimes it is in the most challenging moments of our lives that we hear God's voice with the greatest clarity. Now, the book of Revelation is well known for its end-time prophecy and complicated symbology. But in essence, it's a revelation of Jesus. It's from Him, it's about Him, and it's for Him. It tells us about His ultimate victory over sin, death, and suffering. And this book was addressed to seven ancient churches in Asia Minor, a Roman province that existed in ancient times. They, are, they were located in current-day Turkey, and they were actual churches with actual people in them. And we, led, we just read here a letter addressed to one of those churches, the church that was in the city of Ephesus. And in this letter, Jesus is introduced as the sender. And John talks about him as the one who has the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven lampstands. Now, this symbology is clearly explained in the book of Revelation. The seven stars represent the seven pastors in the churches. And that's very encouraging because he's telling us here that if you serve God, you are in his hands and no one can take you from him. John also sees Jesus walking among the lampstands, and the lampstands represent the church themselves. And he's communicating to us here that Jesus is among his people. This is true and real today. He said he would never leave or forsake us, and this morning, he's walking among us here. His presence is here. Now, as I said, the letter was addressed to the church in the city of Ephesus, which was a fascinating place. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to visit the ruins of ancient Ephesus in Turkey. And I was impressed by the magnificence and greatness of those ancient buildings. And many of them are still standing today. Now, the city of Ephesus was a very important city in the Roman Empire. They were very one of the wealthiest cities and were well known for its thriving business, but also notorious for its depravity, immorality, and witchcraft. It was a filthy place. Ephesus was home to the temple to the goddess Artemis. And that building was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was 
a city that had a lot of sinful things going on. But the city of Ephesus also had a very strong Christian community. The book of Acts tells us that the church in Ephesus was planted by the Apostle Paul with two of his friends, Priscilla and Aquila. And Paul, after the church was started, had to travel to Jerusalem, and he left Priscilla and Aquila in charge of that church plant. They were joined by Apollos, who was mentored by Priscilla and Aquila, and became one of the greatest preachers of the early church. Then Paul returned to Ephesus and became the pastor of the church. And he started the first Bible school ever. He rented a lecture hall where he taught every day for two years. Can you imagine being part of a Bible school where the Apostle Paul is teaching every day? It must have been amazing. And his ministry was so impactful that revival broke out. There were signs and wonders, mass conversions, in, in such a way that the idol makers of Ephesus, they caused a riot because they were afraid that they would lose their business. So it, it was a, a thriving church community. And it's to them that Jesus sends this letter about 40 years after the church was started. And, and that's probably why Jesus starts commending the church, talking about all the great things that were going on in the church in Ephesus. He says, for example, I know your deeds. You guys work hard. You persevere in face of hardship. You don't give up. They were the kind of church that if there was work to be done, they did not give excuses. They just jumped on it and got the work done. Jesus also says, you do not tolerate wicked people. Which means they did not tolerate sin. They knew the dire consequences of sin and did not want anything to do with it. Jesus also commends them for testing some men that claimed to be apostles but were found to be false and they were exposed. This means they had good theology. They had sound doctrine, good teaching in that church. Of course, after all, they had a Bible school that uh, was started by the Apostle Paul, right? The Ephesians knew their scriptures. I imagine that if they had uh, summer camps those days, the Ephesian kids would be the one winning all the Bible quizzes. <laughs> they knew their scriptures. And in verse 6, Jesus also says, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans. Now, we don't know exactly who were the Nicolaitans, but most scholars agree that they were a group of people trying to introduce sexual immorality in the church. And the Ephesians rejected them and refused all their wrong and false ideas. So we have a picture here of a strong church, a thriving church. They worked hard. They didn't give up. They faced hardship. They had good, sound teaching. They knew their scriptures. They rejected sin and immorality. They, they lived in integrity. A strong, hard-working church. But there was an issue. Verse 4 says, Yet, I hold this against you. You have 
forsaken the love you had at first. You guys are doing a great job, but we have a problem. You have forsaken your first love. Now, take a moment to appreciate the seriousness of what's happening here. This is not an email for some disgruntled church member. This is not some rant on social media. We have here the creator of the universe, God Almighty, the risen Christ. And He is saying, we have a problem. We need to sit down and talk about this because I'm holding something against you. And this is so serious that Jesus will say here, if you don't fix this, I will remove your lampstand. In other words, if you don't figure this out, if you don't solve this problem, you will cease to be a church. You're going to close shop. Game over. Now, this confrontational warning may sound offensive to our culture, but this is actually a loving warning from the Father that when we reject God's instructions for our lives, there are dire consequences. And God wants to spare us from them. There is no way you can break the principles of God's word for your life and not expect that reality will not snap back at you. And God wants to spare us from that. And Jesus is telling them here that the issue he had is that they left their first love. Note that it's not that they lost it, but they have forsaken it. It's not that they lost it, they left it. Somehow, they got so busy with ministry and good and legitimate things in life, that their hearts grew cold. Somehow, they got so busy with whatever they were involved with, that they started to distance themselves from a loving and close relationship with Jesus. The Lord had their hands and their minds, but not their hearts. There was a church full of activities, but empty of love. And that's a catastrophe. And friends, I wonder if some of us today are living like that church. I wonder if some of us today once experienced this his close walk with Jesus. Loving Him. Looking forward to be with Him. Totally surrendered. But somehow, life happened. Ministry happened. And we let our love grow cold. So I have a question for you. Do we really, do we really love Jesus? Is He the supreme treasure 
of our hearts? Are we looking forward? Are we craving to be in His presence and delight in Himself? Do we stand in awe at the beauty of His holiness? Are we giving Him our devotion, our affection, our fascination, our undivided attention? Do we love Jesus? Are our hearts on fire when we hear His words like the disciples on the road to Emmaus when they heard Jesus speaking? Are we like Mary, the sister of Martha, who dared to make Jesus her absolute priority and leave everything behind so she could sit at the feet of Jesus because she understood He is the best part. Do we really love Jesus? You may be listening to me this morning here at the church or at home and this message is resonating with you and you say, yes, somehow one day I, my life was completely surrendered. I, I, I poured my heart before the Lord, not worrying about others would say or think, but somehow, and I don't understand how, my love grew cold. And you might be wondering, how can I restore this first love in my life? Or perhaps you never felt this love in the first place. And you are wondering, how can I fall in love with Jesus? Well, this letter gives us clear instructions. Verse 5, the first part of the verse says, Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. In other words, stop. Realize that your priorities may not be right. Take inventory of your life. Repent of your sins. And go back to doing the things you did at first. But this verse poses a question. What are the things that the Ephesians were doing at first? And this is a very important question because Jesus did not say, go to a Bible school and you will restore your first love. Jesus did not say, hey, make a trip to Jerusalem or embrace a political ideology and you will restore your first love. He didn't say that. He said, do the things you did at first. What are those things? Well, I have great news for you. The first works of love from the Ephesian church. They are recorded in the Bible. They are recorded in the book of Acts. Chapter 18, 19, and 20. We have there a story from when this church started. When Paul was there. And Priscilla, and Aquila, and Apollos. And later on, even Timothy, and probably Luke as well. It's all there. So we can look at these chapters and learn about their first works of love. And apply it to our lives. Now, I'm not going to read the three chapters with you now. I hope you do it later. 
But I just want to point out a few things that jump to the eyes that are applicable to my life and your life today. First of all, the church in Ephesus was passionate for missions. Acts 19.10 tells us, All the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. They evangelized the entire region. We are talking here about a missionary church. Many members from the church in Ephesus became missionaries. And those that did not go supported them either through prayer or financially. Their missionary commitment was part of their first works of love. They understood God's heart for people and the priority of the Great Commission. And friends, you cannot separate love for Jesus from a passionate engagement with missions. Because if you want to be filled with love for Jesus, you need to love what Jesus loves. You need to care about what the Father cares about and God cares about people. John Piper, a well-known preacher and author here from the United States, said this about missions. Go, send, or disobey. In other words, either you go as a missionary, or you send someone in your place, or you will disobey God's command to reach the nations, to reach people. But in the context of our message, I want to paraphrase what he said. And say, either you go, or you send, or you will lose your first love. Because if we distance ourselves from what is in the Father's heart, if we distance ourselves from the things God cares about, our love will grow cold. But the reverse is also true. If you get involved in God's plans to reach the nations, if you get involved in God's plans to make His name known throughout the world, to reach humanity with the message of salvation and redemption, you can rest assured love for Jesus and for people will grow in your heart. We also see that that was a church filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 19, verses 11 and 12 say, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. That was a church with signs and wonders. They experienced healings and and deliverance, and mass conversions. That was a church that was not satisfied with human conventions about Christian living. They were hungry for God. They wanted more from Jesus. They pushed for the supernatural. They were hungry for signs and wonders. And God responded to that, filling them with His love and His power. And that's one of my challenges 
to you this morning that you will not be satisfied with that which you already have received from the Lord, but that you will hungry for more because there is more from God for your life. And friends, either the power of the Holy Spirit will pull you away from a life of complacency or a life of complacency will rob you of the opportunity to be transformed by the love of Christ. But my prayer this morning is that you will not settle for anything less than a life filled with love for Jesus and filled with the power of His Holy Spirit. And finally, they were a church that practiced radical surrender. In Acts chapter 19, verses 18 through 20, we read, Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. People that came to Christ there, they, they confessed their sins publicly. And more than that, they burned their expensive sorcery scrolls. That signified that they were breaking up with their past and sinful lifestyles. I came to Christ in the context of a revival in Brazil. And uh, it was in many ways similar to what the church in Ephesus experienced here. We saw mass conversions and, and miracle healings and deliverance. This was just part of, of normal church life. And in our church, we had a prayer team that when invited, when requested, we would actually go to people's homes, mostly new believers' homes, and help them sort through things that somehow somehow connected them to their old sinful lifestyles and help them burn them. I could tell you many crazy stories about going to people who were former drug addicts, former prostitutes, former witch doctors, former gang members, and just helping them burn their junk. We burned witchcraft books and idols and Drug paraphernalia. And this was a powerful statement. That they were leaving behind their sinful lifestyles. And embracing a new life with Christ. Now, I'm not telling you today that you literally need to go home and burn something. <laughs> Though some of you may feel the need to. And if you do that, just be careful you don't burn down your house. <laughs> It would not be nice if Pastor Chris gets a phone call this week saying, well, Pastor Chris, I decided to burn something and now my neighborhood is on fire. <laughs> so if you want to do that, just be careful. But I am saying that you need to take inventory of your life and separate yourself from whatever is between you and the relationship 
of surrender with Christ. I'm telling you, you need to identify the doors of sin in your life and close them. You need to get rid of whatever is sinful in your life and separate yourselves from them, whatever the cost. See, we read here that the people in Ephesus burned their sorcery scrolls and somebody calculated the amount of money it would cost and they uh, arrived at the amazing sum of 50,000 drachmas. Now, a drachma was a silver coin worth about a day's wages. So you can do the math, 50,000 days wages. Nowadays, it would be millions of dollars. It was a lot of money. And this amount is described here to send us a message. True surrender and true repentance will cost you something. It might be different for different people. Some of us need to give up on habits. Others may need to break a sinful relationship. Some may need to get rid of a mindset. But it will cost you something if you are serious about loving Jesus and living a life surrendered to Him. But I want to encourage you today and tell you that Jesus is worth far more than anything you are afraid to lose. He's worthy of our love, of our surrender, of our affection and radical commitment. He loves you and wants you to love Him back. He wants you to find joy and meaning in Himself. I believe God is speaking to someone here today. I believe God is speaking to people watching us online. What is it that Jesus is asking you to surrender today? The letter ends with encouragement and a promise. Verse 7 says, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying today. Pay attention to the words of Jesus. Do not neglect them. Do not despise the clear instructions God is giving us today. Because being in love with Jesus is how you live a victorious Christian life. I want to end in prayer. Give everyone an opportunity to respond to what the Lord is doing in your heart. Would you please stand up with me? I want to invite you to just close your eyes. I'm speaking to those watching online as well. The same Holy Spirit is at work wherever you are. He wants to do a work in your life as well. And as you are here this morning, I just want to invite you to close your eyes for a moment and raise your hands in an attitude of surrender.
Just like the people in Ephesus burned their scrolls representing their surrender to Christ, I invite you to represent your surrender by raising your hands and just pouring your heart before Jesus. When you raise your hands, you signify that you are unarmed, that you are open to whatever the Lord has for you. And I invite you to pray right now. Whatever the Lord just spoke to you today, just present it before Him. Just talk to Him. Father, we come before you this morning. We need to experience this first love. Father, we ask forgiveness because many of us allowed our love to grow cold. And even though we, we lead good lives and, and we hear good preaching, somehow we are not in love with you like we once were. And we ask you that you will restore this fire, this flame in our hearts. Jesus, we want to be completely surrendered to you. We want to be in love with you again. Yes, light the fire. We want to give you our affection and fascination and admiration. We want to long to be in your presence. We want you to be the true treasure of our hearts. Fill us with love for you, Jesus. And Father, we come before you and we ask forgiveness for our sins. We are sorry, Lord, that we allowed things to enter our lives that shouldn't be there in the first place. We got some of our priorities messed up and we gave room to the enemy to rob us from the opportunity to be free to love you. And we want to be free from any bondage this morning. And I ask you, Father, that your anointing will touch every single person here and break the bondage of sin in their lives, whatever it is. In the name of Jesus, Father, I break the bondage of addiction. In Jesus' name, I break habits that made some of my friends prisoners. In Jesus' name, I take authority against the powers of darkness that have been oppressing some of our friends this morning. In Jesus' name, let there be freedom. Jesus, we love you. We love you. And we surrender our hearts and our lives to you. We want more. We want more from your Holy Spirit. We want more from your power. Come and change our lives. And I invite you to pray your prayers. I invite you to pour your heart. Let it not be a two minutes prayer that you're ready to pray before you go home. But let it be a true outpouring of your heart in the presence of the one you love. And as you do that, let us worship the Lord with this song now. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.